like to read one verse tonight, if you have a Bible. It's found in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. Um, the word I want to speak on tonight uh, is in this verse. It's in a lot of verses, but I want to speak on it from this verse tonight. Uh, mentioning many other scriptures in which it's found. We've sung, we've also sung songs tonight about this word, uh, and so we're going to read it, uh, read about it here uh, in the book of Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. Hebrews 2 and 9 says this, but, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Why? For the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, that's the Lord Jesus, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. That could be every man and woman. That he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man and woman. What's on my mind tonight is to speak about the grace of God. The grace of God. And you could say that's a, a, a word that is littered throughout our Bibles. It, it, it's all over the place. I've chosen this verse tonight. Could have chosen many other verses. But to speak about the grace of God. Because we're speaking the gospel. And in our Bibles, it says that the gospel, it's of God. And the Bible tells us that. It also says that it's of Christ. But the Bible also tells us that the gospel, it's about the grace of God. It's of the grace of God. And you'd say, what is grace? Sometimes we, we wonder about, about these uh, words that are so often, we sing amazing grace. A lot of people sing that. A lot of people sing that at funerals sometimes. And a lot of people sing it at joyous events. It, it's one of those few, few hymns. You could sing it at a wedding and be thrilled. And you could sing it at a funeral. You'd say, it, 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 it knows no bounds. It's such an amazing hymn that John Newton penned. And it speaks about an amazing word, amazing grace. And you'd say, sometimes we just forget what it is. There's a lot of ways in which I could say it tonight. Grace has to do with what you don't deserve. Let me say this tonight. I don't say it for shock effect. I say it because the Bible says it. If you think that you deserve to be in heaven tonight, the Bible says you will most definitely not be there. The Bible doesn't say this, but I would say this. If you believe that you deserve to be in hell, there's a really good chance that you could be saved because you're admitting to something that the Bible states is true. All about what we would deserve and what we don't deserve, what we think, uh, you know, say, oh, I, I, I deserve that. I deserve that, that B plus I got in biology this year, you know? I didn't deserve to go to summer school, right? No one here probably said that. But you'd say, this idea of what I deserve and what I don't, it's all throughout my life. And it comes right here to the gospel, too, as to what I deserve and to what I don't. I think uh, sometimes I you try to think of uh, an example of this. I can't, I can't um, not forget one of the greatest living illustrations of this to me, uh, we did a VBS. I think it was in 2014. And I remember we did Ephesians 2 and 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. As any man goes. And I was teaching the verse to the kids. There were probably that year around 40 kids. And there were a couple of kids who come from the street that my grandparents live on. I remember the kid's name, but I won't say it because I don't know if I'll meet him again. But I remember this kid. He was, he was bad. It was probably, every VBS, you always get maybe two bad kids. This was like the baddest kid, par none, who would come to our VBS. 
He was, he was always like, he was always, you know, it was like beyond kicking people next to you. He was kicking the adults next to him. And you'd say, just a bad kid. And I remember as the weeks went on, this was probably day three, just, just uh, disruptive. Uh, even the way he would laugh, you knew that he meant it, right? It wasn't just like a, a kid's laugh. It was like one of those kind of, you knew that he meant ill. It was, he was out to get people. And, and I remember we were teaching that verse and I said, you know, I, I lifted up that day and we're teaching about grace and, and I pulled out of my wallet. I went to get a, I went to get a one out of my wallet and, and I only had fives. I was, I was already mad, you know, and I lifted out of my wallet. And I was like, oh, I can't believe I didn't have any ones today. I lifted the five up and I, I kind of knew what I was going to do. And it was already bothering me. I said, who deserves this five? And of course, out of 40 kids, 39 kids' hands went up. The only kid whose hand didn't go up was the kid who didn't hear what I said and was thinking about snack time, right? And they all the hands went up. They all deserve that five. And I said, who doesn't deserve this five? And I kid you not, out of the 40 kids, there were probably about 17 or 18 who yelled out this kid's name <laughs> and said, he doesn't deserve it. Some of them pointed. And I remember I went over to him, and I gave him the five. I put it in his lap. And he wasn't even thankful. It wasn't like thanks or that. He laughed the same way he had laughed the other days. And it was that kind of evil laugh. And, he, and, and I gave it to him. And there you could tell. And I remember at the end, I went to my grandmother's house that night. My grandma got mad at me for giving it to him. She said, why in the world did you give that kid that five? It bothered me. It bothered my grandma. It bothered the whole VBS. Why? He didn't deserve it. But I gave it to him. I ask you, raise your hand if you deserve salvation tonight. You know, we, we, we think that's, we understand that illustration. We all do. We all understand the, the illustration I tried to bring before you. And, and, and we can all imagine what it would have been like to have been there and to laugh together. But how come sometimes when it comes to, to think about heaven and to think about my sins forgiven, to think about what I deserve, why is it? Why is it we think that there's something in us that deserves it? The Bible says it has to be by grace. It has to be by what we don't deserve. If I could earn it or I could achieve it, if somehow I could have done something in my life and I could have merited it, right? We all do stuff. We, 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 we complete four years of coursework to get a, a bachelor's. We go to school for two more years to get a master's. We go to school for four more years and become perpetual students to get PhDs. And we earn degrees. We get a paycheck on Friday. And some of them have four zeros. Some of them have three zeros. Some of them have eight zeros, you'd say. And we earn it. We earn it. You'd say, at the end of the day, we are earners. And then it comes to salvation, and we say, I'm going to earn this. And yet the Bible says the only thing that you can earn are the wages of sin, and that is death. But if you want salvation tonight, it is the gift of God, and it is only a gift. And grace is a gift. And the verse here that we read, I want to speak about a couple of things. I want to speak about grace and truth. They come together in our Bible. I want to speak about grace and sin because the Bible brings them together. And I want to speak about grace and salvation just in the few minutes that I have here. Grace and truth, the Bible tells me, came by one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. You, don't, you can go back. I've been giving out John's Gospels all, all week. You have to turn to page one on John's Gospel. And it tells me there that the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came, embodied, in a man by Jesus Christ. 
No other man ever had grace and truth in him. You say, what does that mean, grace? You know, why, why is it that we have? You say, it's something that only, only God who became a man could have ever been said of anyone else, that he had both grace and he had both truth. You say, oh, Dave, what does it mean, this grace? I'll tell you this. The Bible says a truth. It says that all have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is a truth. Bible also presents to me a grace, and it tells me this in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, that God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that he might make me the righteousness of God in him. You say, all have sinned. That's the truth. What's the grace? That God took that sin and placed it on his son. The Bible tells me in Isaiah, I think it's chapter 13 and verse 11, it says there, here's the truth, that God is going to punish Punish the evil of this world, that he's going to punish the iniquities of the wicked. And you'd say, that's a truth. And then the Bible also comes across in 1 Peter 3 and 18, it tells me of grace. It says that Christ also suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. You see that only in the man Jesus Christ could he have come to this world and he could have said, I don't expect anything less than perfection from you. And yet when he saw men in their sins, he was also willing to go to a cross and to die for every imperfect individual that was around him. Here was one, truth and grace. And you'd say, so, so put together there. Unlike any other two qualities that never could have existed in any other man, they existed in Jesus Christ. He never, he never put truth aside. Everything he did was true. Every word, every action. And yet he was the most gracious man to ever walk this earth. Never was there a man more gracious than Jesus Christ. You say, they come together in this man. And you'd say, I wonder why they came together in this man and no one else. You'd say, because it's this man that the Bible talks about when it comes to talk about our sins and the grace of God. And so when you look at grace and sin put together, the Bible tells me that we're sin. Where sin abounded or where sin increased. Imagine almost a chart where sin starts down here and it just increases. They tell me the world's getting better. That is not true. Where sin increased, and that's all it's ever done. It tells me this, that where sin increased, grace, grace just leaped right over it. Grace went right over top of it. No matter the height of sin, grace went over it. You'd say, why? And the Bible tells me this, that God gave people rules and he gave them laws. And he said he did that so that you would just recognize that you're guilty. Sometimes, you know, you, Matt and I, you get ready for a meeting and you, you, you go into the, some people have used that, the porta potty over there. There's a mirror on the wall there. There's a mirror. And you go in there and you look in the mirror and right away, you know if there's something on your face. You know if there's something on my, on my collar. I got to fix my collar. There's something wrong. But the mirror shows me what's wrong. I do not wipe my face on the mirror. The mirror can't take the dirt off. It shows me it's there. God gave rules. He told us not to lie. He told us not to cheat. He told us not to steal. He told us, he told us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And he told us those things just to show us what our hearts are really like. They're sinful. They're, they're wretched. They're, 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 they're as, as, as worse as they could be. It shows me how awful I am. And yet just as that sin reaches its pinnacle at Calvary there, I see grace and it just, as it were, just leaps right over sin. And Christ dies for sins. 
He dies for them so that he could cleanse me from my sins. And you'd say, grace and sin, what a unique way to mold them together. I, 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 I look for ways to illustrate this uh, of, of grace and also of sin. And I think of just standards in life. We're all trying to live up to a standard, trying to, trying to be as good as we can be, trying to meet this standard. Um, I'm reminded of uh, my high school athletic career. Uh, which was short-lived and was not worth repeating, but I will tonight momentarily. And, and when I competed in track and field, I did the high jump. And the high jump, and, and, and when you high jump, you had to clear five feet. It was like right here. And I could do that. Usually I get a round of applause. Five feet right here. But when you went to the big meets, they didn't start at five feet. They started at five, I think it was five, four Five four here or five six. They started here, and I couldn't do that. I remember asking my coach. I said, "Why do they? Why do they raise the bar at the big meets? I can't. I can't make it over that." And he said, "Well, they want to get rid of all the people who are no good, right? They don't want. They don't want the stragglers. They only want the best." And sometimes in life, we think that there's this bar, and maybe your bar in life is just this. It says, "You know, my bar, my standard is right here." You know, it's it's maybe a a few things I've done wrong. You said, but I haven't, I haven't, you always think of something that's worse. I haven't done that. And the Bible says, you know, if, if you've hated someone, if you've hated someone in your heart, you think, oh, hate must be right here. God says, if you've hated someone, he says, he sees no difference between that and actually pulling the trigger of a gun at someone. He says, if you've hated someone, you've killed them in your heart. Matt has said it. We sometimes place the, the, the bar right here and say, oh, to be unfaithful in a marriage, the Bible says, oh, maybe you'd say, oh, I would, I, would, uh, I, would never, I would never do that. That's way up there. The Bible says if you've ever, if you've ever lusted after anyone, it says it's the same thing. And all of a sudden, this bar that's right here, it gets higher and it gets higher. You know, that we think sometimes if I love my neighbor, that's the standard. No, the Bible says you have to love your enemy. And you say, the bar, I can't see it anymore. It's way up there. You say, why is the bar set so high? Why does God demand perfection? For this reason alone, because he wants you to admit that you can't get over it. He wants you to know you can't meet the standard, and he wants you to know that one man did, Jesus Christ. That he did, and it has to be through grace. You cannot deserve it, because you cannot meet the standard. All have fallen short, and yet this man didn't. This man, Jesus Christ, it tells me here, he became a little lower than the angels. He came right to where I was. He came right to where the problem was for the suffering of death. And the Bible tells me this, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, would taste death for everyone. For everyone. No one is excluded. And if it's grace and truth in one man, if it's grace and sin, that as much sin could be piled up at Calvary, there was still more grace. As much as we deserved to be guaranteed our doom because of what we did to Jesus Christ of Calvary. God takes the cross and he says, I will save sinners because of that cross through grace. And finally, it talks about grace and salvation. Because the Bible tells me here that he, by the grace of God, he died. The day that each one of us dies, and that's a guarantee, one out of every one person will die. Sometimes, I, today, in the record, I did it. I, I opened a paper, and you go through the obituaries, and everyone has a reason. Some people, it's a memoriam. They died 15 years ago, and it still tells you the cause of their death, sometimes. Cause of death. 
we look for things like that. As a believer, I look to see something that says maybe something about uh, their faith in Jesus Christ. Just maybe a little something. I, I, I look for that. But often we look for the reason. But ultimately, every obituary page, every single one could say this, cause of death, sin. Cause of death, sin. Because everybody gets a paycheck at the end of their life. The wages of sin is death. Everyone gets paid. If you worry about getting paid at your job, you say this is a a check that always comes. It always gets to the person who deserves it. You always get your wages. And the wages of sin is death. But the Bible says here, if every one of us will die one day because of sins, there was one exception and only one. And the Bible says here that one man did not die because of his sins. He died because of grace. The Bible tells me that by the grace of God, Jesus Christ tasted death for everyone, for every man, for every woman. And you say, here is this truth, that salvation that I can't earn, that I can't achieve, that I can't do anything for, it is held out as a gift. You know, a gift always costs somebody something. We make that mistake as children sometimes. I mean, how many of the kids here have opened a gift on Christmas and just been marveled that they didn't have to do anything for it? And yet, how many parents have sat there and wondered, and sometimes maybe wondered rightly, was it worth it to buy the kid that gift, right? Because it cost someone something. Someone got it, and someone had to pay for it. Someone became poorer. When someone else got something that we would say they did not work for. And the Bible tells me this. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich for our sakes, he became poor. That we, through his poverty, might be made rich. Rich in what? Rich in the forgiveness of your sins. Rich in the peace of God. Rich in a home in heaven, rich in knowing the love of God, you'd say, there is nothing you could do to make God love you more. There is nothing you could do to make God love you less. The grace of God comes here and tells you, everyone here, there is nothing that you could do to earn heaven. And yet Jesus Christ came and gave himself. He tasted death for everyone in order to make it possible for you to be in heaven. We sang that hymn, and maybe you've heard it before. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. You know, I've been at funerals, and I can remember being at a funeral of a kid who, he was just one year ahead of me in in high school, and I can remember singing that song at the funeral, and I looked around, because I knew everyone there. They were all in the same high school I was in. And maybe you knew a little bit about people. But I watched everyone sing that song. And everyone sang it as though it meant everything to them. And then you get to that last verse. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing his grace or sing his praise than when we first begun. People often ask me, a man asked me the other night, he said, uh, do you think people in heaven look down on others? You think people in heaven can see you? And I said, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't know. I, 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 I didn't want to take anything away from him. But I said, uh, I, said I do know this. I said, uh, the first action in heaven is for people to have their tears wiped away. 
And I thought about it. I said, you know, I can't imagine what people would be crying over because why would you cry in heaven over maybe the car that you left behind or the job that you left behind? Why would you cry over the, the house that, that you left behind or the clothing? Why would you cry over, why would you cry over any of that? Why would anybody need to wipe away your tears? And the only answer I could come up with because there are people that you love who never appreciated the grace of God, never got saved. They were always trying to get to heaven. They were always going to do something, or they were always thinking that it would happen another day. It's the only reason I can think of for having tears in heaven. If you have another reason, I'd like to hear it. That's the only reason I can think of. But when we've been there 10,000 years, you know, I won't deserve it in 10,000 years. I won't won't be able to earn it after 10,000 years. It'll still be because of something I did not deserve. And yet, it's a gift. I get salvation because Christ died. Because he tasted death for every man. What I deserved was to be on that cross. What he deserved was to be in heaven. And yet instead, he got what he did not deserve. And he took a cross. And I got what I do not deserve. And I got heaven. Because Christ died for my sins. And because this verse tells me that he By the grace of God, tasted death for everyone, for every man, woman, boy, or girl. And you could believe that tonight. It's a truth that you could take in. It's almost as though tonight I would say, and hold up salvation. Hold up salvation and go, who deserves this? And no one would raise their hand tonight, mainly because no one ever raises their hand when you ask a question. But who deserves this? And no one would raise their hand. And I would say to you, who doesn't deserve this? Imagine, imagine tonight to to have someone point at you and to say, you don't deserve this. To have someone else here stand up and go, you see that person? They don't deserve this. They don't deserve this salvation. And I could quickly walk over to you and go, you're the perfect candidate for salvation because it's through grace. You're the candidate for salvation because boasting is excluded and pride is abased because only sinners are saved by grace. Because you are saved by grace. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. It is not of a work, because then grace would no longer be grace. And finally, our verse tonight. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for you. For you. You could believe that, because it's true, and you could be saved. Great to see those that are out this evening. I will tell you that there's a little hesitation on my part, even to speak in the gospel after what David just mentioned from scripture, because it couldn't have been uh, more clearly presented, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I almost think if one doesn't get saved under a message like that, you just wonder what it takes. So we just trust that as the Holy Spirit continues to work in a setting like this, Consider it a solemn moment as God's working with your soul. That as we listen to scripture, that something might connect tonight. Not from what I've said, but what from God says as he's seeking to speak to you. And that we might just listen very carefully to what scripture says. Let's just open here at the book of uh, Hebrews, please. Hebrews in chapter 13.
something David did not mention when he mentioned Amazing Grace. That's a hymn that spoke to me the night I was saved. But what spoke to me on when we've been there 10,000 years, I wondered where I would be in 10,000 years. So I ask you the question carefully tonight and with love, where will you be in 10,000 years? Tonight, you you can know for sure you'll be in heaven in 10,000 years if you come to trust Christ. Let's look here, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 8. So Hebrews in chapter 13 and verse number 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now let's look at the book of Numbers, please, in chapter 23. We're going to drop back in the Old Testament. Numbers in chapter 23. Numbers 23 and verse 19. Numbers 23 and verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent or have a change of mind. Really here uh, in its context and in its definition here, you would see in a change in its character or nature. God does not change. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? God, I'll read it again, is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall it, or shall he not make it good? Now, last reading is in the book of Isaiah. And chapter 55, the book of Isaiah, and chapter 55. Isaiah in chapter 55, and verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him. While he is near, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near, or while he is present, or while he is available. Now, these past few days, and even in the, the past week, we've been enjoying lessons about God. We've been enjoying lessons about the truth of God. We've been enjoying lessons about the work of Calvary, about the work of Christ. We've been enjoying lessons and really understanding lessons perhaps found through scripture about our place in sin. So really, as we look to the word of God, there's things that God is trying to communicate. He's trying to get us to understand. He's trying to teach us a lesson. I like what brother Dave mentioned about the standard God has of holiness and how he's trying to give us the lesson that we can never match his standard. That's why a person has to come to trust Christ that that blood has washed their sins as far as the east is from the way uh, far as the east is from the west and when God looks down upon a sinner that's saved by the grace of God he doesn't see their sin and the wages of their sin he sees the perfect work of Christ that is placed upon them so he's trying to teach you and I lessons and we've enjoyed lessons enjoying the lesson of free salvation through the person of Christ you know if you were to go into a home uh and you were to, if there was a, if you walked through this home or perhaps you walked through a hotel and you, uh, it wouldn't be very hard for you to see uh, someone, a room of a, of a male, for example, we'll even drive it to that 
extent. The room of a male who is married versus the room of a male who is not married. Married men uh, learn lessons in their life very quick. You would understand that a happy, wi- a happy wife is a happy life. And there are things that you did perhaps when you were single in your single days. You left uh, clothes all over the place and you left hair trimmings all over the place and the... The restroom perhaps was never as tight as it, as it could be. So there were lessons that you learned very quick in your marriage. Uh, and you'd look at a room of someone who is not married, perhaps, and you'd say, boy, you have a lot of lessons to learn. Okay? I, say that, I don't say that for a specific reason here. My brother Dave is getting married. <laughs> but there's lessons you're going to learn. All right? And there's lessons that I have learned. It's, it's lessons that, that make you become less uh, filled with self and become selfless. And you start to look at another person and their priorities. So God really wants to look at your uh, person and he wants to teach you and I lessons tonight. And if there's any lesson that you're going to learn as you listen to me speak, you're going to learn this one lesson tonight that Jesus, as we said in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse uh, number uh, eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. Never forget it. He's the same today and he's the same forever. He does not change. If there's a lesson that you're going to learn tonight and something you're going to soak in and retain and walk away, never forgetting, you're going to remember these words found in the book of uh, of Isaiah in chapter 55. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Never forget it, friend, because the God of heaven today is available. The work of Christ through the open door, that's why Jesus says, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. That door is open tonight. But there's a day coming when the door will be shut. And that's why God is imploring and through the word of God, his tool of communication that he speaks to you and I, the Bible, he is saying that these words here, call ye upon him or seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him when he is near. I'm not too concerned when we speak in the gospel and brother Dave and I were just sharing thoughts last night, but uh, I'm not too concerned, quite frankly, when we share in the gospel, whether you believe there's a God that exists or not, he does. I'm not too concerned if someone shares the gospel. Uh, We're not too concerned if you believe that you're a sinner or you're not a sinner because God's word says that you are a sinner. I could drive down the street and I could go right down this road. I think it's 40 miles an hour. I'm not too sure if I've I've kept it. I'm trying to go under the speed limit now so I'd still get another ticket. But uh, if you could go down this road and you could fly down this road and tell yourself that the speed limit does not say 40 and it's 90 and you could go right down that road and you'd be caught and you'd probably be thrown behind a jail. It doesn't matter, quite frankly, what we think. The truth of the matter is this. It's 40. It never changes. And when we speak about a God in heaven who is holy, that never changes. When we speak about a God in heaven who looks down upon an unholy race, a sinful race, a wretched race, a, 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 a perverse race, that has never changed. When we speak about a person like God, a being like God that looks down upon a race that has no hope or no peace with God, and he sends his son to the place called Calvary to redeem man, to buy back man, to reconcile man back together with God, that has never changed. That's why Jesus is saying, or God's word is saying, rather, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him when he is near. When I do work uh, down in the city of Chicago, Pacific Garden Mission, I've mentioned it before, but some have actually said, why don't you just describe it a little more? Not everyone knows what that is. But just in a nutshell, it's this. 1,200 people or so stay there every single night, and they're from the streets. It's very interesting to me that the prisons, perhaps, or the government does not want God in their life, but right from the prison, the prison will actually pay for a ticket for a person to leave prison, a penitentiary, and go straight to Pacific Garden Mission, be dropped off because they hear the gospel, and it changes their life. They know. Anyway, 
When someone comes and they ask a question, the first question that I have, and they always say, I have a question for you. Uh, do you mind? Uh, sure. Like, so they always ask a question, uh, what does God say about me? Or what is, and I always ask this, do you believe this book? Do you? Do you? From the front of the book to the back of the book, do you believe God's word? Because if they say yes, then we have a conversation. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so our answers are going to come right from the Bible. I don't have anything else. But the day that they tell me there are some things, and I've had hundreds tell me this, there are some things that I, I really enjoy and I really understand, but there are certain things that I don't understand. No conversation. Why? Because my answers are going to come from the Bible. And I might present an answer, I might give an answer, and the person says, well, I don't believe that. And all of a sudden, we're in this argument, and it'll last for hours, because they have chosen. Listen, God reveals himself. He reveals himself in creation. He reveals himself through the word of God. He reveals himself through churches as people preach Christ and Christ crucified. And there are people that choose, choose with their hearts, willing hearts. God has given you a will to make your own decision. And they choose to believe what they want to believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I trust that tonight, a lesson that you learn is this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He loved your soul just as much yesterday as he does today, as he will forever. And this truth, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let's just drop here into this particular portion here in Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19. Because we read words and perhaps you're just wondering, well, Matt, uh, what are you trying to say? So let's just read it together. God, it says in Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie. Listen, man lies. God doesn't lie. Titus chapter one and verse two, it says these words, in hope of eternal life, which God that promised cannot lie. And God promises eternal life for the sinner that comes to trust Christ. God cannot lie. Can't. It's impossible. And when God talks about your sin, God cannot lie. Man lies. Men are filled with lies. Every single day men lie. They lie. They exaggerate. They tell things. They hold back the truth perhaps. It's all lies. And we, this is how it is. You can't trust the political world. You can't trust the education world. Whatever it is, we're filled with lies. God, it says this, God cannot lie. About your sin, God doesn't lie. The fact that sin will damn a soul to hell beneath, God doesn't lie. Hell created for the devil and his angels. God doesn't lie. Heaven created for the believer, the one who's come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. God cannot lie. None shall pluck them from my hands, Jesus says. Not God cannot lie. That's the beauty of it. And he's, the writer here is saying, God's not a man. God is not like you and I, where we make mistakes and we, we have failures and we change our nature, we change our character, and we lie, we say things that are different. God never changes. God's nature is holiness. He hates sin. God's nature is justice, and he provided justice at the place called Calvary. Although the just one died for us, the unjust, that he might make us right in the eyes of God. And when God looked down upon sin, a sinless sacrifice had to pay for sin. And the only person who could fulfill it, the only person that was acceptable to the Godhead was the person of Christ. The son of God who made himself. I love that scripture in Philippians chapter two and verse five, who made himself of no reputation. Think about that. The God of heaven, as it were, steps into humanity and men today make themselves of reputations. We love to drive our fun cars. We love to take people to our homes. We love to show people our, our, our properties. We love to show people our finances or, or brag about the type of German car that we drive. And God himself made himself of no reputation. 
And he took upon him. Think about this. The Godhead took upon him the form of a man, a form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. He became lower than the angels. But here's what happened. Although he was flesh and blood, he never, listen, he never changed his character. He never changed his nature. He was absolutely perfect. He was absolutely holy. He was absolutely sinless. He hated sin, but he loved the sinner. That's why I'm thankful. Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. We need to run here. 820 already. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm going to read to you a verse here found, and I'm not trying to quote Dave, but uh, Hebrews chapter 2, if you were to read these words, you say, well, where is this here? uh, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Notice Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. I'll read verse 8 for context. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him, but now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he might, he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Jesus, the same yesterday. Can I tell you something today? That is, believers worship all over the world. I'm not, I'm not too concerned with what sign they have, but if they're worshiping the person of Christ and they are saved by the grace of God and they know that their sins were paid for by the person of Jesus and they know that for all of eternity that they can enjoy this salvation, there are believers all over the world, hundreds of thousands, millions, and they are worshiping the person of Christ unlike angels can worship. They are blood-bought beings. Angels are not. And angels watch, and they watch, let's say from universe, they're watching the earth, and they're watching uh, just sinners, wretched, filthy, and they're bought with a price, and they're saved by the grace of God, and they're worshiping, and angels can't worship like that. That's amazing. It's absolutely profound. And that's the message that we have tonight of the Lord Jesus Christ going to a cross to die for human beings, to die for sinners. So Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, you would read of him being the same yesterday in his life on earth. Look here in the same being yesterday and today. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says these words, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet, the Bible says it, Yet without sin. We can't understand things like that. How can someone be tempted but without sin? Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus the same yesterday. Jesus the same today. And let's look at Jesus the same forever. He's the same today as our high priest in heaven. Look at uh, forever. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 says these words, and for context, verse 24, but this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for him. Chapter 9 and verse 28 continues the theme, and it says this, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So there's the thought there on Jesus the same yesterday, Jesus the same today, and Jesus the same forever. He has never changed. God has never changed. 
And God's word is telling you tonight, friend, the person that does change, the human being that does change, we change every single day. Our nature changes all the time, although your natural nature is sin, but we try to change things. And we're always changing our ideas and our philosophies and everything else. God doesn't change. And God is saying this, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call you upon him while he is near. I wonder if someone here tonight is seeking and it's so intense, there's nothing else that could distract you from coming to know him. I mentioned this already, Harrison, uh, we were driving here. I started this <laughs> fasting. Uh, you'll laugh because today I haven't had anything, actually. I plan to eat tomorrow night. So, But he was very hungry, and he's 14. He's a, he's a, he's a rugged guy. He wants to eat. So I pushed it as long as I could. And so finally I said, where do you want to go eat? And he said, uh, Arby's. Like, I would eat Arby's for the rest of the day. And so we drove, I finally found an Arby's out in Ohio somewhere on our way here. And we pulled in and he ordered his food. And I'm going to tell you, like the smell, right? And the fries and the beef and everything else. And it was in my nose. And you can ask him after meeting what I did after that. As we drove away, I rolled all our windows and I put the air on full blast so it would blow all the air out because I could not be tempted. I was focused. Why? Well, I have this goal. <laughs> Things have to come off here. And there's a good, it's focused. It can't be hindered. It can't be distracted. Nothing gets in my way. I wonder if you want to be saved tonight. And maybe you've come to every gospel meeting. Maybe you search scripture and there's nothing more that you want in your life than to know your sins forgiven. There's nothing more that you want in your life than to know you're going to heaven. There's nothing more that you want in your life than that family circle of yours to never be broken. Because maybe your parents are going to heaven and you're not. And you've come here tonight and you're, you're so focused. There's a target on the word of God and what it says to your life. And you want to understand, how can I know for sure that I'm going to heaven? There needs to be a focus. Can I tell you what's beautiful? Is God is focused. And God is seeking. And he's seeking to save them that are lost. You say, am I lost? I was in, uh, if those of you that know Shad Sluter, he came to visit us in Hawaii there's a beach in Makaha Beach, it's called. Uh, there's, there's actually a lot of sharks in this beach, but he was snorkeling and um, he hadn't seen any sharks. And so when we visited him, he said, hey, uh, you want to go out snorkeling? I said, listen, I'm kind of scared of water, but I'll trust you because he had done the whole coast there, Makaha Beach, by the cabanas. And so we went out. What you don't understand about the ocean is the ocean will pull you and with the current. And so as we're snorkeling and my face is down and I'm watching the ocean floor, there's probably 30 feet between me and the ocean floor. I realized this, that shad that I was following has been swept a long way and I'm all by myself. And I'm probably 200 yards or so off the shore. And I'm scared of sharks. I'm deathly afraid of sharks. And what happened is I was watching this turtle that had been bitten by a shark, actually. There was a huge bite in the shell of the turtle. And I was watching him sort of bob and swim. And it was, he just had me, you know. And then I look up and Shad's nowhere to be seen. And my heart started to pound. And I don't know if you've ever felt anxious or worried or your heart is just flying. And I had the mask that they sell at Costco that literally suctions to your face. It's not just glasses or a mouthpiece. It's a whole piece. And so you can only breathe through that. And what happens is you feel your feet, the rubber uh, flippers on your feet, your feet are being pulled up because they won't sink. And so you're sort of suspended in the water. All I wanted to do was find solid ground. All I wanted to do was get settled and have, not have that fear. And I started to panic. 
and I started to swim. And I could see, and I didn't want to raise any awareness to my family, but my wife and kids and uh, Shad's wife and kid or Shad's wife and kids were all on the beach having fun. And all I wanted to do was to be able to cry out help, but I couldn't because I didn't want to scare them. And I swam. You asked Harrison what happened. I swam for everything I had. I was terrified because I thought I was lost. I was terrified because I thought there'd be a shark that could come in. They can smack you at 10 feet a second, some 12 feet a second, and they just hit. You have no idea when they're coming. And that's all that went through my mind. And I'm swimming. And I'm swimming. It's like Michael Phelps. I mean, I'm going with everything I have. And I'm breathing hard. And I can't breathe because the machine is suctioning to my throat. And water had gotten into it. And I'm just pushing. And you know what? I could have cared less of where I landed. I just wanted to be set free from this device. I wanted to be set free from that ocean that had pulled me out. And I swam right up onto rocks. Of all the sand that I could have landed on, I kept swimming. And all I wanted to do was be saved. And I swam right up to rocks. I cut my whole body all up to rocks. <laughs> Why? Because there was nothing more that I wanted than to be saved. What I would have done for someone to just come up and say, listen, man, you're drowning. Do you need some help? And I would have said, yes, it would be foolish for me to be swimming there, drowning, and for someone to come and say, do you need some help? And I say, I'm all set. Listen, friend, you're drowning in your sin, and you can't help yourself. That's the challenge. There's only one person that can help you, and that was the place called Calvary. Luke, Luke chapter 13 and verse 24 gives us solemn reminders. He says this, as Jesus is answering a question of who is going to heaven, are there many that are going to heaven? He says this, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able when once the master of the house has risen up and hath shut to the door and you begin to stand without and to knock saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. Friend, today the door of salvation is wide open, but it's going to be shut. And it says here that there will be people that will knock for it to open and it will not open because the master of the house, he is risen. He's standing and he shuts to the door. And maybe there will be people that will say, Lord, Lord, I memorize verses and the door is shut. I sing hymns. I help my dad with notes. I listened. I memorized chapters, not just verses. Uh, it's shut. The door tonight's open. Jesus says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. You know, as we drove around here, I close. I'm always impressed when I meet people that are in businesses or even in churches and they're seeking to enlarge their members or, uh, or they're, they're running a business or they're trying to build relationships. There's always another way that you can add on. Right, if you met Dave today, they run a business here. Now you ask him if there's other ways that they can add on to their business, increase revenue, uh, increase sales. There's always a way. Okay? You know what's interesting is this, and we're so used to this. There's always a way to get more educated. There's always a way to, with God's way to heaven, there's no other way. God doesn't present one way one minute and then changes his mind and changes his character and changes his, his nature another minute and says, oh, there's another way. There's no other way. Thomas understood that. Jesus told Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And if you're going to heaven tonight, you will be going to heaven because he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And Jesus Christ has never changed yesterday, today, or tomorrow. And God's word says this, seek ye the Lord, while he may be found. He can be found tonight. The door's not shut tonight. It's wide open. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let's pray.